Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Everyone, welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Look who's here. Mufti Abdurrahman Waheed, mashaAllah. The one and the only. The one and only, for real. Like, really the one and only. Honestly, I will Out of a wedding or something, because like that background, those candles and plants look like you got some some nikah gifts. And you stole my vest, clearly. That's my vest you're wearing, man. You that took is my vest. vest. You took my vest, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sheikh. I, I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Assalamu alaikum wabarakatuh. But really, I have a real problem with you guys. A huge okay. problem. All right. I'm the first one in 17 days with a turban on Quran 30 for 30. <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? And guess what? I'm the second Desi. Seven, you couldn't find another Desi in the entire north in the world, worldwide. Sheikh Abdullah, that's messed up. Sheikh, we have half of the yeah. half of the Quran left, Sheikh. <laughs> yeah, you got me face palming, and and I don't know if you're right or not. We got to go back and. No, no, I yeah. I do my homework. There's only one. <laughs> you're, you're no, I, I, look, look, I, Desi I, representation. Yeah, so I am the first one with the turban, unless you classify Sheikh Tahir's ten foot topi as a turban. <laughs> <laughs> You did not just take a shot at Sheikh Tahir's. Uh, Charlie Mack is going to come spin you on a court in Michigan, in Detroit, and send you to Bel Air, Sheikh. <laughs> but I appreciate you guys bringing me on, man. I appreciate that. Representing, no, 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 representing no. all of us. We always love to have you, Mufti Saab. Always, always, always. Allah knows, and everyone loves to see you. Alhamdulillah, I mean, as part of our programming. And um, you know the challenge is how much are you? How much Urdu are you going to speak? How much Urdu poetry is going to come up in this episode to make up for clearly our lack of uh, a Desi presence uh, thus far? So you know what? If if you if you push me, I'll just probably speak Urdu for ten minutes. I mean, oh, no. I just like like it. It. all right. Inshallah, inshallah not. Can, maybe if you can go review all your Urdu notes in English, and you know, I'm sure you can have your your one Urdu poem. You know, you got to throw your Iqbal in there. And then Khalas, we'll if, it comes, if it comes naturally, I'll do it. Khalas, right. The best and, way. Always good to have you, Mufti Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, We're going to go ahead and get started, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, we are on Juz 17, Alhamd, Surah Al-Anbiya, Surah Al-Hajj. And uh, this Juz is now a departure from some of the previous surahs that we have had in that we now are not uh, just in Meccan Quran, but we are truly in a mix of Meccan and Madani verses. However, what makes this just very unique in that sense is that the the end of Mecca and the beginning of Medina is covered. So this juz actually parallels the hijrah of the Prophet in that you have themes right before the hijrah and then right after the hijrah. So, you know, thinking about the sirah context, imagine not just the mindset of the Prophet but all of the companions of the Messenger that are embarking on this new journey from Mecca to Al-Madinah. And I'll also mention, of course, that uh, just a reminder of the beautiful hadith from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the beautiful narration, where he said that Surah Bani Israel, Al-Kahf, Maryam, Taha, Al-Anbiya, <coughs> are amongst my first earnings and my precious old property. And uh, this is, of course, the last of those surahs when we talk about Surah Al-Anbiya. So Surah Al-Anbiya was revealed in Mecca, and like all the other surahs that were revealed in Mecca, we find this emphasis on Tawheed, we find this emphasis on monotheism, emphasis on the message of the Prophet and the authority of the Messenger. 
But you also see, of course, 16 prophets covered in Surah Al-Anbiya. There's a reason why it's called the Surah of the Prophets, because you have 16 stories of prophets. And each one of those stories is emphasizing the end of those prophets' da'wah. So obviously the switch is very clear to the people of Mecca that this is their end and this is the end of the Prophet with them until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up a way for the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to return back to Mecca. Now that's Surah Al-Anbiya and then you get into Surah Al-Hajj and, and the uh, portions that I want to cover inshallah ta'ala are actually in Surah Al-Hajj. Uh, first and foremost, a connection to that time period of the Hijrah. Verse 11 in Surah Al-Hajj is There are people that worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on an edge. They literally, you know, the, the imagery that's being given to us is that their worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like they're at the edge of a cliff. If things are good when they become Muslim, when they embrace the religion, then they stay on top. And if things are bad, they take a dive off of the cliff. So they're relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is conditional and it is based on how good or bad their worldly circumstances are and how they're interpreting their worldly circumstances of course because good and bad is always relative to what we can perceive in the first place but this verse was revealed uh, according to Ibn Abbas anhumah, uh, he says uh, he said he said that a person used to come to Medina He said that a person would come to Medina and they would become Muslim. And then when they went home, if their uh, spouses gave birth uh, to a, a young boy or if their, uh, their animals started to produce offspring. So if they themselves had offspring given to them, uh, and if their animals started to produce offspring as well, which means wealth for them, of course, when you're a farmer and uh, your, your property is dependent upon how many animals, healthy animals are coming up uh, in, your, in, your, in your property, in your uh, farm. So he said that if that happened to a person where their, their wife would give birth and uh, they would start to have more cattle, more, more offspring from their animals, then they would say, they would say, what a good religion this is, right? I wouldn't I embrace Islam. And then all of these great things started to happen to me. And if his wife did not give birth, or if their uh, animals did not produce offspring, the person, the same person would say that this is a bad religion. This religion is bad. And of course, this is also what we, we hear in Surah Al-Fajr. Allah talks about a person who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them of this world and gives them status, so wealth and status, and then they say, my Lord has honored me, and then if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala withholds some of it, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala restricts their sustenance in any way, and then that person then says that my Lord has humiliated me. Now, why is this so important here? Because this is not just talking about, you know, the idea that people uh, were, were reading some sort of prosperity doctrine into Islam, which is not present in Islam, which is the opposite of Islam. But the fact that the Ansar took in the Prophet ﷺ, knowing that as they took in the Prophet ﷺ, this was going to jeopardize their already 
unstable situation, right? It was going to make things even more difficult for them. Anything good that they had going for them in terms of their wealth, their property, was now going to be at risk because they took in the profits lies on them. Any alliance that they had from the outside with a more powerful entity, that was going to be jeopardized. Their alliance with the Meccans, that was going to go out the window. And in fact, they now would have to worry about whether or not the people of Mecca would fight them, which we know, of course, they indeed uh, would uh, fight against them. And so despite all of that, they took in the Prophet for what reason? Al-Jannah. The Prophet made no guarantees to them. He did not tell them that if you take me in, your city is going to have prosperity, that all sorts of things are going to happen, that Medina is going to become a city for the ages. None of that, right? That the fruit was going to be blessed, that the pastures were going to be blessed. None of that was there. Instead, they asked the Prophet what are we getting as a result of all of this? And the Prophet said, Al-Jannah, the only guarantee that you are being given is paradise. And they said, then it is a profitable transaction. So these are the opposite of the Ansar. And this is right after the Hijrah uh, that these ayats were revealed. Also, Ibn Abbas says a very important Sirah incident takes place here with verse 39 of this surah. Ibn Abbas says, he said that uh, as soon as the Prophet was expelled out of Mecca, when the Prophet was actually forced out of Mecca, Abu Bakr realizing, now, now, now of course Abu Bakr is someone who when the Quran is revealed, Abu Bakr takes it very seriously, goes to his heart. Abu Bakr realizing what had happened, what the consequences of that were after they just had all these surahs and stories revealed to them about previous prophets. He told the Prophet to Allah we belong and to Allah we return. They have expelled their prophet. Surely they are doomed. They're going to be destroyed. Then Ibn Abbas says, that they have been permitted, uh, the believers have been per permitted to fight against the disbelievers because they have been wronged and surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fully capable of giving the believers victory. What's so important here is Ibn Abbas who said, as soon as that ayah came down, I knew that there was going to be qital. I knew that there was going to be fighting. <clears throat> but it's very interesting, subhanAllah, that, and he says, by the way, that this is also the first verse revealed after Mecca. The first verse revealed after Mecca uh, upon the Muslims. It's very interesting that the first permission to fight that is given to the Muslims is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spells it out because they have been wrong. They have been oppressed. And now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them the permission to fight back. And of course, when Badr comes around, you have been prescribed or fighting has been prescribed for you, even though you hate to fight. You were not a people that were looking for battle or looking for war. But this was the first verse revealed, subhanAllah, after Mecca. And look at Abu Bakr's insight. He worried about his people despite everything. He said, subhanAllah, inna lillahi wa inna Surely these people are going to be destroyed. Lastly, what I'll say here is Surah Al-Hajj. Uh, Ibrahim Islam is the focus of both of these surahs. But the fact that Surah Al-Hajj in particular 
refers to Ibrahim being told to call out to the to, to the world, yet to Karijala, and people will come to you from all over the world on the backs of all sorts of animals from every valley of the earth. They are going to come to you and respond to your call. So subhanAllah, the the uh the hardship, you know, when we say in the Ma'al with hardship comes ease. No sooner has the hardship been legislated except that the ease is already on its way. The Prophet ﷺ being given the Bushra at the time, the glad tidings, at the time of being expelled from Mecca, that one day you will come back to Mecca on every type of animal from all over the world to fulfill the promise, to fulfill the call of Ibrahim ﷺ. So that glad tiding, that ease was legislated along with the hardship, knowing that this hijrah, that this period of persecution and being refugees is a temporary period ta'ala. And alhamdulillah, we saw that promise uh, fulfilled. So with that, inshallah ta'ala, uh, Mufti Abdurrahman, if you have any uh, reflections on any of that, inshallah ta'ala, um, in English, please, inshallah, any reflections that you have on that, then we'll move on to uh, Shaykh Abdullah. Uh, it's a beautiful point you mentioned where the Prophet never promised the Ansar of Medina anything. There was no, it was unconditional love and attachment. It was not that you will get this or that. You know, we sometimes, we, we have this problem with our own children. Everything is prize-based, you know, gift-based. It's not like we just win their heart and they're doing it for the sake of Allah, for the sake of uh, our love. And so th the same concept is mentioned in Surah Hud. Right? When if we uh, give, if we make insan taste our mercy, you know, some sometimes of prosperity, they were living a good time, good life, and then and then we snatch it from them. All of a sudden, now they're you know, they're disobeying Allah. Now they're hopeless. And then if we, of course, because like how you mentioned right now, prosperity it comes right after it's legislated at the same time as adversity. And now prosperity comes. They just it's because of my own you know strategy, my own ideas, what I what I had in mind that the bad has left me. The anatomy of a human being is that he is so boastful and he's so arrogant that he forgets that all of this comes from Allah and it depend and, and it everything is legislated for a certain time. So I, I love the I the the concept of when Ansar took uh, were honored with the presence of the Prophet, they were not guaranteed anything at the end of the Prophet's life, you know, after uh, after um, Hunayn, when the Prophet sat with them and spoke to them, they, they, the Prophet said to them, do, uh, do you want anything? And they, they respond to Ya Rasulullah, we made conditions and you made also some conditions. And the Prophet said, what was the conditions that I made for you? you said, and they respond, they say, Ya Rasulullah, you, you, we made the condition that if we support you and we're with you the whole time, that you will get us Jannah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we don't want anything but that. Nothing. Even after they were given all the prosperity, they still wanted the same promise of the Prophet earlier, which was Jannah and nothing else. And that's what's so beautiful about the Ansar. SubhanAllah, beautiful reflection. Zakallah khair. So it's like the Ansar did not change through any of it. Their focus was Jannah in the hereafter in the presence of the Prophet in this life. Like he comes back with us and then Jannah in the hereafter. Whereas these people... The opposite side of that, they attribute their hardship to Allah, they attribute their blessing to themselves. So even when the hardship is gone, they still don't come back around and say that, you know, we were wrong. It, it's no, it was uh, that's because of what we did. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. So, so truly, you're seeing the opposite personalities, the opposite of the Ansar being given here. And that is the means of honoring the Ansar of the Prophet.
That's a very important characteristic that we have to remember as human beings that subhanAllah, you know, within the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about ourselves throughout numerous verses and the reality uh, of our existence. And subhanAllah, when you're just talking about that with the Al-Ansar, you think about the people of Musa when they have something, you know, something that's called a Qira, a Qira where it's, you know, considering bad omens. When they say, when, when, in Asab, when, when they were to be afflicted with anything that was bad, you know, that if anything bad was to happen to them, they will say, oh, this is because of the religious individual, the religious person, the prophet and his prophethood and what he's bringing. That's why these bad things are coming to us. SubhanAllah, when you attribute it to that, which is, should be totally opposite, um, that is where it's a travesty. But uh, SubhanAllah, when you were talking about Ibrahim and the, and the trials and tribulations and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always uh, have a nasr and assist those that follow his path and that stick, that stay with him and stay with the Sharia and realize who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And that is the driving force behind enduring any of these things which Allah has predestined. That is what was mentioned when you mentioned when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded Ibrahim alayhi salam to call the people to Hajj, roughly in chapter number, the chapter of Hajj, verse number 27. Roughly 27 to 37, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us snippets of the ceremonial practices of Hajj, hence the chapter, the name of the chapter is Hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the very beginning when he told Ibrahim, as Sheikh Omar mentioned, If you think about it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is creating a vision and he's like he's giving him a himmatun aliyah, like a goal and aspiration. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Ibrahim this, can you imagine he's in a barren land? You know, he's saying, call out to the people, I guarantee you, they will come walking. And they will come upon every riding animal or camel or vehicle from every valley. Why? And to witness what is beneficial for them and what is going to be uh, uh, to their benefit. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes in depth and then he mentions the ceremonial practices and he goes on to the practices within Hajj. But what I want to capitalize on is the last verse, which would be considered the veil or the end of this particular snippet of speaking about Hajj, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions, uh, you know, right before talking about the animals that one should, should, should sacrifice and how they should even be done. Yeah, sawaf. Some scholars say sawaf, meaning that they are lined up in the saf. It's a safafun, like they're in a saf. And some scholars mention that one leg should be tied and that they should be on three to where when you perform the action of sacrificing that they will fall for either on their junub, on their, on their sides, and remembering the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then he mentions after that, because when we think about it, and I mentioned this numerous times, because this was an experience that I had personally, and maybe others have experienced it, in regards to sacrificing an animal for God. That was something that was very peculiar to me. I could not understand why is the manifestation of my love for God have to be for sacrificing an animal? It was very hard for me to understand that. But then when I read the following verse, that's when I put things in proper perspective and I took a step back. And I said, SubhanAllah, I have an idea of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing. An idea. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking here when he says, SubhanAllah, that the blood nor the flesh will reach Allah. 
but it is the taqwa that reaches Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the taqwa. And we, as we mentioned before, the word taqwa is very comprehensive. But as is mentioned, the, the scholars mentioned that it comes from the word wiqaya, which is a shield, which are the actions of good, doing the actions that Allah has legislated, and staying away from that which we has, he has prohibited. That is an action of taqwa. When you do that, it forms as a shield against any bad deeds or any even, subhanAllah, internally and externally. So when looking at this, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding you that, look, throughout all of these things that you're seeing, these ceremonial practices, remember all of this is just a means to get to something. All of this is what I have programmed and what I have set up. This is the blueprint for you to follow in order to exemplify your mindfulness of, of me, in, in order to exemplify your fear, your trust, your honor. Exemplify all aspects of worship within these couple of days being hajj in dhul hijjah so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us as he reminded ibrahim to have that himatun ali and to have that you know that in the future there will be people that will be doing this but for the people that are doing it from you and i to remember that this is just a means and not to rely on the actual tangible items and things that allah puts in front of us and when i say tangible items i mean anything other than allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is created. When we see things that are created, the outlook the Muslims should look at it is that this could be a means for me to get to exemplify my taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to show my trust in him, to show my love and honor in him. When you're good to your neighbor, this is a means for you to show your trust and love in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, being that he's blessed you with health and wealth and being that you're following the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam by being good to your neighbor as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned hadith but right after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, كَذَلِكَ سَخَّرَهَا لَكُمْ لِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ وَبَشِّرِ الْمُحْسِنِينَ So in that fashion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala سَخَّرَ He subjugated it to you. And this is very interesting. When you look at animals, it's very interesting. If you were to ponder over animals and see how within their, dare I use the word fitrah, their creation they are subjugated to act a certain way. A young child, as a scholar was mentioning, a young child can pull a camel, a camel, and steer the camel, and the camel will follow him or her. But try to do that with a mouse, with a smaller animal. It's amazing. Allah has created them in certain ways to serve you. When you see the kab, mukallabina tu'allimunahunna mimma allamakumullah. The kal, literally the word kal comes from al-muta'allim, that which learns, and that's why, subhanAllah, you see the dog in particular, it is an amazing, as all the animals are amazing, but seeing how their job is to be subservient to you. Allah has created it in that fashion. Therefore, he uses the word sakhar. That's why it's impermissible for a human being. It is not permissible for a person to subjugate, to speak, in a, to, speak to another individual or group of people as though they are lower or lesser than you, or is that they or or though they, they were created to be lesser than you. This is impermissible in Islam to speak or to treat them in that fashion. So we see here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that He is When you see this and you see when you when you sacrifice the animals, why did he do this? To say Allahu Akbar upon these things. When you're performing these practices, dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ala ma hadakum, what he has guided you to. Wa bashir al-muhsineen. 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala congratulates those that do excellence. And Ihsan has numerous definitions. As we see, one of them is to worship Allah as though you see him and though you do not see him, know that he 24, 365 sees you at all times. He sees what you're doing. He hears what you're saying. And when you do your best, that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. And lastly, one interesting point that I want to mention here is that subhanAllah, I think we need to do this in Ramadan in particular for our friends, for our families, you know, people in the masjid is congratulate each other. If you notice Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala congratulates those people that have those characteristics. He congratulates those that are humble. He congratulates those that do excellence. They do their best. And in Hajj, those that have made Hajj, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from us. And those that have not made Hajj, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our intention to make Hajj, being a pillar of Islam. There are struggles that you're going to go through in the tents. There are struggles that you're going to go through at Jamarat when throwing the stone on Tawaf al-Ifadah. You know, making that tawaf where Yafidul Nas, where all the all the hujjaj are practically there at one time. There are struggles that you're going to go through, but when you want to do it for Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala in the Malusri Yusra, that verily with every hardship comes ease. So remember, brothers and sisters, even with this particular moment of Hajj, Al Ibrah to be a love that we look at the generality of it. That when one struggles for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and one looks at everything in their life as a means to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show gratitude to a person or to look at something and ask oh Allah thabbit me to make me firm upon that using it in a good way in a good fashion that shows gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is one this is from the people that have taqwa and the person that implements their taqwa to the best of their ability can be of those that are of the muhsineen May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of the muttaqeen and of the muhsineen, inshallah. Ameen. Zakallah khair. As always, Shaykh Abdullah. Mufti Saab, take us away. Zakallah khair, Shaykh Abdullah. May Allah reward you. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. It's interesting that I was given the 17th juz, even though I, I just put my name and said whatever days work in the, the you know the latter part of the month. <clears throat> I would Before I uh, begin with the verse that I want to speak about, I will say this for sure. Um, that it's the Jum'ah before my brother Sheikh Abdul Rahim passed away on October 5th, so like three days before, on Friday. My khutbah was about the first verse in this juz. My entire khutbah was about this, about how human beings, like their time is so near, but they're still so they're still in negligence, they're still unaware, they're still... Every time a reminder comes, they're not paying attention, um, they're just so I was speaking about this, and then I, towards the end of my khutbah, I gave I was just proposing some solutions that what are some ways that our elders, Salaf al um, um mentioned that our ghafla can leave? Like, what are some ways we can combat ghafla and negligence? And so, the, the first thing I said was visiting the graveyard, because of course, many of the scholars say that visiting the graveyard and qubur and seeing the mawta being buried in tajhiz and takfin, you know, the whole process, the burial process, it reminds you of death. It reminds you of where you're going to be going. So it, it removes the ghafla from your heart. And I mentioned this for like two, three minutes. I mentioned we should visit graves. And, I, and while I was giving this khutbah, 
I mean, I knew myself that I'm not, this, it's not a practice of mine, but I wanted to make it a practice. It's not a practice of mine that I go every week. Yeah, if there's a janazah in the community, I go, but it's not a, a practice. Wallahi, the mo I got down with the khutbah, I get out. My brother, Sheikh Abdul Rahman was in the, in, in the gathering. I even mentioned his name because he gave the khutbah the week before, and I said, he said this, so he came up to me and said, oh, Bajan, uh, you mentioned my name. Uh, I didn't really say that. You made it sound much better. You know, I didn't say it like that. I said, you know, whatever, it's no, no big deal. And I'm so happy that he heard me call him by Sheikh Abdul Rahim. That's the only time in his life he heard me call him by that. Um, and then he said to me, he said, that's a great idea. How about the students at, at, at the madrasa and Miftaha? What should we do with these students? You know, I think we should organize something that they can go to the graveyards and at least once a week once or once a month, you know, just go there and, you know, take heed from it. And I started talking to him about, yeah, we should visit children's hospitals and different nursing homes so we can meet the, the, the you know, the, the, the community that will make our hearts soft, you know, not just see all this glamour and glitter on Instagram and Facebook, see these people, be with them, and it, it softens the heart. And we were planning that, and little did, did I know, did we both know that Allah had his own plans, you know, that uh, we, we the first, first, you know, person that I had to schedule my life around to visit the grave was my own brother. He passed away a few days later, and, then, and we never had to organize or plan anything. Now the students are going on their own, visiting him all the time, and, you know, it's just, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that. I just when I read, the, when I found out I was, I was doing this, I said, you know what, I'm going to mention that, how my brother came, that whenever I read this verse, I remember my brother, Sheikh Abdul Rahman One more thing, though, before I go to my verse, is since Sheikh, Sheikh Abdullah mentioned that quickly about congratulating those who do good, um, I, I look at the dua of Yunus, La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kutubi al-dhalimeen, and I'm just going to say one minute about this. People said a lot of things about this, but the one thing that I reflect over after my brother's um, shahada, death, is that, you know, um, Yunus al-Islam never asked for anything. He never, he was in the belly of the whale. He never said, oh Allah, take me out of this situation. He never asked for anything. All he did was apologize. That's all he did. He apologized and he considered himself as a, a wrongdoer. Many times in our life, we just miss the train by not apologizing. Just, just be quick to apologize to each other. Like if you just apologize, things become easier. Al-Badi'u bisalam bari'u min al-kibar, you know. He says about this That you know this doesn't just mean The person who says salam first Because salam comes from the word peace But the one who comes with peace Meaning the one who apologizes first The one who tries to mend the relationship first Is the one who is freed from arrogance and pride So we should be quick to apologize We see Yunus al The moment he was thrown in I'm sorry Allah I'm sorry just apologizing is so powerful. So apologize to one another. Our, our way to apologize to Allah is Tawbah. And look how powerful that is. Allah loves Tawbah. And today in our communities, we just have a hard time just lowering ourselves and just apologizing to one another for the sake of Allah. And I, I take that from that. When I, I mean, I know there's no regrets, but I every time I visit my brother, you know, the first time I've seen him, I, the first thing you say is, I'm sorry, I love you, I miss you. I'm sorry, I love you, I miss you, you know. Apologize to people as they're when they're living before they leave. You know, apologize before that. You don't want someone to leave this world without you apologizing to them, or you don't want to leave this world 
without someone else apologizing or forgiving somebody else. So apologize to one another as they're living. Congratulate each other as they're living. Not after they leave this world, then we say good things about them, but say it while they're living. Make them feel good. You know, there's not, you're not, you're not, your, your head's, your, you know, the, your nose is not going to be, you know, it's, your, it's nothing's going to happen to your honor or esteem if you just apologize, if you lower yourself and say, I'm sorry, it's not, a, you know, Allah will give you respect. So apologize to one another as we're living before it's, before one of us leave and it's, then we have to apologize at someone's grave. And then the verse that I want to speak about, he said, I know you're going to be talking about random things. So like, yeah, the, the verse that I that, that makes me think every time I read it is this verse 105. That indeed we have written in Zabur after Allah's remembrance that this earth will be inherited by my pious servants. Subhanallah, you know, this verse, now just think about this. Indeed, it's already been established. This is an established principle of Allah. Fizzabur. Why is Zabur mentioned over here? Because Dawud is some stories mentioned in this in this surah. Other places Allah uses Taurat and Injil, but specifically over here, use Zabur. And some Mufassirin say Zabur is mentioned because it is just in the talking about all the previous scriptures, meaning this principle that Allah is about to mention right now is has already been established in every scripture in the past. It's not anomaly, it's not a new thing, it's not. Far from normal. This is this is this is a this is a principle well established in every scripture of the past on the tongue of every prophet of the past. What is that principle, Allah? Allah is saying, dhikr after His remembrance, because principles are established after Allah. You know, the remembrance was already started at the beginning of this juz, where He says, the beginning He says, Allah first reminds and he encourages, and then He then He brings the principles and consequences and results. He said, what is that principle? That verily this earth will be inherited by my pious servants. Now, as far as the word ard over here, some mufassirin say it means Jannah. Um, and it's, uh, of course it could mean Jannah. But Ibn Abbas says, specifically he says, ard over here means dunya. So many different places in the Quran or Allah says, Allah has promised those who believe and do good deeds that Allah will give them the, the the glitter and the glamour and the luxury of this dunya as well. Allah will give them leadership. That, that verse is in Surah Nur. Oh man, I, I forgot to put my Dr. Zakir Naikai on today, but I think it's like verse 4, 54 or 55, one of those. Um, you can correct me later if, you, if, I, if I'm wrong, but yeah, verse 54 or 55. Shaykh remind me to always put that cap on before I come to Yaqeen sessions. وَقَالَ مُوسَى بِاللَّهِ إِنَّ الْأَرْضَ لِلَّهِ مِنْ عِبَادِي Allah says in, in Surah A'raf, O Musa, tell your people to uh, seek help from Allah and be patient because verily this earth, this dunya, Allah will give to His own servants. So think about that for one second. You know, today we make so much effort to attain dunya, to attain, you know, wealth and prosperity in this world. But the principle to get it is, we're, we're, we're missing the train. The principle is, Allah gives this to his righteous servants, to his pious servants. Allah just gives it to them. And look at the word he uses. He doesn't say that Allah gives, but he says that he inherits this. Subhanallah, with the word, just this word inheritance, there's two things that come from this word. The first thing that I, you know, you think of in Allama Raghab al-Asfahan, he says this, the first thing of Yadith is there's a waiting period. Like, you know, the insan is, he wants quick results. But in this word itself, you, you there's this indication that there's a waiting period. You do good deeds, you do righteous deeds. This is the, the best 
form of investment you can have. You may not see the results right away. You may not see it right away, but you will definitely see it. The right time will come. You just got to hang in there. Life happened in the 11th year of Hijri. The Prophet was told, hang in there. Because two years later, Allah gave him Medina. So there's a waiting period. You know, my father sometimes calls me and like, you were in situations, you just got to keep waiting. And waiting, subhanAllah, even the waiting period for prosperity is an ibadah, is, is rewarding. So there's, you're not missing out on anything. That's the first thing. The second thing about Yarithuha is inheritance, you get without making much effort. Like your father was rich and then you just get it. Someone else made the effort and you get it. Allah is saying, you're not going to have to make much effort, right? You, you make effort and making me happy and making becoming righteous, then I will give you what you want in this world and in the hereafter. A poet says, so today, we're patching our dunya, our life in this world, by tearing apart our deen, compromising one inch at a time of deen. One inch of our time, we're compromising with our relationship with Allah, and we're trying to patch up our this worldly life and making things better over here. He says, nor is, has our deen remained, like we've basically compromised one inch, now we're compromising one mile. And nor have we attained anything in this world. So glad tidings for the one who initially prioritized Allah and his deen in the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad, everything, because then Allah gives that person everything at that point, right? The one who surrenders to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he says, okay, oh Allah, you want me to go down that principle? I'm going to make sure I'm righteous, do the right thing, fulfill your command, it doesn't matter how difficult it is. Then Allah takes responsibility of all difficulties. And then Allah then feeds him, sustains this person from the most, you know, unseen means. And I conclude this, you know, this session by saying, Subhanallah, that it comes in Ibn Abbas and he says, look at how the effect of good deeds. We know the effect of nine to five working. We know the effect of studying for 10, 12 years. Sheikh Umar doesn't like me saying this, but I'm going to say this, going to med school, doing residency, fellowship. We know the effect of it, what, what the end of the day it's worth it. But what's truly worth it? What's truly worth it is one good deed. It's, it is an amazing investment, my brother and sister. Before I say Ibn Abbas's statement, it just got a flash of Ibn Hajar. He says, He says, a person should, ne should never you know, uh, belittle the smallest good deed and never belittle the smallest bad deed. There's no such thing as small good deed or small bad deed because you don't know. Maybe that one small smile, that one small good deed, maybe that one dollar you, you know, give to Yaqeen right now could be the reason why Allah has mercy on you. Or that one bad deed that you did at the wrong time in the wrong place could be the reason why Allah is angered with you. So Ibn Abbas says, the power of a good deed, the power of righteousness, and all these effects, we think about righteousness, that we will get the reward of righteousness in Akhirah and Jannah. And I, I'm going to conclude with this. We have this notion that we do good deeds now, and the effect of it will show in Jannah and all in this dunya. We're not going to see no effects. That is the farthest from the truth. You see the effect of it immediately. Like, I'm sure Sheikh Umar doesn't, and Sheikh Abdullah don't eat spicy food. The moment you eat spicy food, right away you feel the effect of the food. Same thing with good deeds and bad deeds. Immediately Allah shows us the effect. He says, Ibn Abad says, in anhu, inna lil hasana, fil waj. Right away after doing one good deed, the first effect is fil waj. 
Allah enlightens your face with true nur. Not just artificial light and the beautiful camera, but true nur. True radiance on your face. Attraction. Allah gives you attraction. Allah gives you light in your heart. Now it's easy for you to determine what's right and what's wrong. And Allah pushes you towards that. Allah gives you expansion in your risk. Allah gives you more risk. Allah puts barakah in your risk. Allah gives you strength to do more good deeds. Gives you tawfiq to do more good deeds. Makes it easy for you. And the fifth effect of one good deed, Allah puts your love in the hearts of people around you. Look, that's just the effect of one good, good deed. Allah is saying, imagine you do good deeds, good deeds, and you become righteous. This world is yours, and Akhirah is already waiting for you. And that's why, you know, um, this Alam Iqbal, he says something. The Sahaba, that's what they did. They never made an effort on farming and agriculture. They did that. They had to, of course, as, as, their, as their daily sustenance. But their, their main work was to make sure that they're invested in their relationship with Allah. And then Allah gave them this world and everything else, right? So Iqbal, he says, He said, you don't even know who your forefathers are. You, ha- you, cannot, you cannot even claim to be from their descendants because you just speak and they did good deeds. You speak about good deeds and they used to do good deeds. And you are stationary while they're roaming around the world serving the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The moment we left the true inheritance of the Sahaba, which was Amal Saliha, good deeds, righteousness, then from that moment onwards, we were, you know, from pushed from pole to pole and we were disgraced on the skies and also on the earth. So Allah make us return to that true effort, which is to make sure we are righteous in the month of Ramadan. Once, don't ever think that our time spent in the masjid, our time spent serving the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that will bring us returns in this world and definitely in the hereafter as well. Jazakallahu khairah. Jazakallahu khairah. Jazakallahu khairah. So listen, that was beautiful. Amazing. You didn't disappoint. You still did Urdu. And by the way, for the audience, you know, uh, we, we the, the jokes here, you know, Please know, Subhanallah, Mufti Abdul Rahman is our is our brother. So we we joke around all the time. We love no, him. No, no, I'm your that. I'm your punching bag, not brother. <laughs> uh, I'm your punch. But but I have to say one thing. How could you say we don't eat spicy food? Ooh. I thought you knew me. I thought okay, you knew me. I'm from New Orleans. Okay, I eat, I eat chicken sixty five, Halim out of this world. Hyderabadi biryani, like I eat the spiciest stuff in the world. Come on, man. Now, okay, the next sorry. time I get some biryani that tastes like makhluba because they're going to say, well, Mufti Abdurrahman said you don't eat spicy. It's going to be your fault. That's my fault. And I'll correct the next time. Inshallah. I thought you knew me better than that. But uh, that. <laughs> on, on, on a serious note, um, we love you dearly and, and your family, alhamdulillah, and the work at Miftah as well. Mashallah. So, ta'ala, please go to yaqeeninstitute.org slash Ramadan, of course, just a reminder to everyone. Um, to download the ebooks to support Yaqeen as well. Uh, please also check out Miftah's work, inshallah ta'ala. That's Miftah with two A's, ta'ala. And also a reminder of the uh, End Ramadan Strong webathon this Sunday, inshallah ta'ala. Mufti Saab, you're part of that too, right? Yeah. So we're going to see you. Mufti Saab this Sunday, inshallah ta'ala. So <laughs> Sunday, inshallah, we have our End Ramadan Strong webathon, bidnanahi ta'ala. Uh, please do be a part of that. It's going to run for a few hours throughout the day, inshallah. I think three to eight Eastern, inshallah. So please sign up for that for now. Zakmullah khairan.
Always enjoy having you, Mufti Saab. Uh, Sheikh Abdullah, always a pleasure. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi Having a conversation is a transformative experience. It can take you to places in your own mind that you didn't even know existed. It's an opportunity to understand your own views and to see what someone else sees too. To talk with people instead of being talked at. A conversation is a chance to build a relationship with your child, your parent, your friend, even an acquaintance. That's why we created Yaqeen Conversations. You can use it during family nights, with friends, in an existing club or anytime you want. It's an opportunity for everyone on any faith level to build meaningful connections with people and a meaningful connection with faith. Visit yaqeeninstitute.org conversations to access the guide immediately. Yaqeen Conversations. Have a transformative experience.